Welcome to the Singapore Management University podcast series, where we feature the latest insights and perspectives from our faculty. Childbirth is one of the most important life events for many couples. The newborn brings joy, but also new responsibilities. The couple, as parents, has to face additional expenses related to the baby, such as diapers and toys. As the child grows up, the couple will also face other costs, such as education and medical expenses. How does the couple cope with the additional expenses for the children? Does the mother or father or both reduce their expenditure on goods? The answers to these questions are key to understanding who shoulders the burden of responsibilities associated with the newborn. In one of the first attempts to answer these questions, Associate Professor Tomoki Fuji from the SMU School of Economics, together with co-author Ruichiro Ishikawa, conducted a study using data and evidence from Japan. In this podcast, Professor Fuji shares the key findings of the research and its relevance to Singapore. Professor, can you share with us what made you choose to undertake research into how childbirth changes intra-household resource allocation for married couples in Japan? This research was conducted with Dr. Ryuicho Ishikawa, who is an associate professor at the University of Tsukuba in Japan. In general, when you start a research project with someone else, you either have a topic or collaborator first. If you have a topic first, you need to find someone to work with. If you have a collaborator first, you need to find a topic both you and your collaborator can work on. The current study belongs to the latter case, so let me tell you how we came up with this research topic. Dr. Ishikawa and I met in Berkeley, California when I was still a graduate student. We didn't really think about doing research together at that time because our fields are completely different, or at least that's what we thought. He's a microeconomic theorist working on game theory and experimental economics more lately. I'm a more empirically oriented person working mainly in development economics and environmental economics. However, after I graduated from University of California, Berkeley in 2005, I had an opportunity to talk with him. It was then that we decided to pursue some research projects together because it was clearer to us that there are potentially some gains from cross-fertilization between our respective fields of specialization. One of my main research topics is poverty and inequality. In the standard analysis of poverty and inequality, the typical unit of analysis is a household. This means that the inequality that exists within the household is usually ignored in the analysis. So intra-household resource allocation was a topic that interested me. Dr. Ishikawa, on the other hand, was interested in the allocation of resources within the household from the perspective of bargaining within a couple because it involves some theoretical issues. Therefore, inter-household resource allocation issue was indeed a good topic for both of us to work on. After deciding on a broadly defined topic, we looked for some data that would allow us to see the inter-household resource allocation because the set of specific issues that can be studied empirically is restricted by the data availability. Then we came across this dataset called the Japanese Panel Survey of Consumers, which is a very interesting dataset because we can tell from the dataset how much money is spent for each of the husband, wife, children, other household members, and family as a whole. 
This feature is rare because the standard expenditure surveys ask questions by expenditure categories. Therefore, in a typical expenditure survey, we know how much money was spent on food, clothes, utility, and so on, but we don't know who the beneficiary of each expenditure item is in the household. Another good feature of this survey is that it is a panel survey. Therefore, we do not have to worry too much about how the respondents classify their expenditures. Just to give you an idea, consider food expenditure. It is perfectly normal to say that you eat your food and the beneficiary of your food expenditure is you. Similarly, I eat my food and the beneficiary of my food expenditure is I. But say if you and I were a husband and wife and ate together all the time, is this the right classification? Perhaps shouldn't we classify the food expenditure as expenditure for the family as a whole? Questions like these create a concern for the comparability of the classification of expenditure across households, as different respondents may answer differently. However, in a panel dataset, so long as each respondent answers in a consistent manner over time, we can essentially look at how households change their spending patterns over time without worrying about strict comparability of expenditure classifications across households. So, we looked at the data and explored the factors that affect the inter-household resource allocation. The number of children in the household came up as one of such factors, and we decided to explore this topic because there are very few studies at that time that look at the impact of childbirth on inter-household resource allocation. What were the key findings of your research? The objective of our study was to see how childbirth alters inter-household resource allocation. To this end, we first needed to decide what to use as an outcome measure of interest. It turns out that under a set of several technical assumptions, it is sufficient to just look at the private expenditure share for the wife, which is just the ratio of expenditure for the wife to the expenditure for the wife and the expenditure for the husband combined. If this ratio is equal to 1, it means that all the private expenditures go to the wife, whereas if it is 0, all the private expenditure go to the husband. From the data set, it can be seen that both husband and wife make sacrifices for their children. With the arrival of the first child, each of them, on average, spends more time on domestic work, less time on leisure, and less money for private purposes. This makes sense as you need to spend more time and money for your children. However, the burden of children is disproportionately on the wife's shoulders since the wife's private expenditure share drops. We also find no evidence that the wife is compensated by increased consumption in the future or increased share of leisure time. Furthermore, this disparity increases with additional children. More specifically, each additional child is found to be associated with at least two percentage points in wife's private expenditure share after controlling for various other factors, including her share of total disposable income under a variety of regression specifications. It should be noted here, though, that when we conduct an analysis of this sort by regressions, we are particularly concerned about what we call the endogeneity problem. 
In our case, it may be the case that the wife's unobservable bargaining power is correlated with both the number of children and her private expenditure share. If so, the observed correlation between the number of children and the wife's private expenditure share is not driven by the causal effect of childbirth. We'll deal with this issue with what we call instrumental variables, which loosely speaking affect the childbirth but not directly the intra-household resource allocation. Using the instrumental variables, we find that the indigeneity problem does not appear to be an important concern for us. In short, our key finding is that the burden of childbirth is disproportionately shouldered by the wife, and this finding is robust. Why do you think it's the wife, rather than the husband, that shoulder a larger burden in raising a child? Has this something to do with Japanese or Asian culture? For the first question, a partial answer is that it is because the wife's contribution to the household disposable income tends to decline after the childbirth. However, there is actually additional decrease in wife's private expenditure share after childbirth. To understand this phenomenon, we have considered three plausible explanations, which are not mutually exclusive. The first explanation is by way of the relative change in the value of men and women in the marriage market. When the marriage breaks, both husband and wife find it more difficult to remarry when they already have children. However, this negative effect of children in the marriage market may be more important for women. If this is indeed the case, the wife would lose her bargaining power in the household when a child is born. Second, the preference of men and women may change. A lot of people I talked with say something like women cherish children more than men do, but it is a vague statement for our purpose. To empirically test this statement, or perhaps I should say this type of statement, we interpreted it in the following manner. The more children the couple has, the more women would value public goods, while men's preferences remain unchanged. The third explanation is that the birth of children creates an additional sphere of bargaining. If you think about it, when children are born, you need to decide a lot of things that you didn't have to worry about before. You and your spouse may not agree on what kind of clothes kids should wear, what kind of instruments they should learn to play, if they learn at all, whether to send your child to a playgroup, kindergarten, or nursery, and so on. So this additional sphere of bargaining may be substitutable for the share of private expenditure. To put differently, I may say that I'm willing to give up a larger share of my private expenditure in exchange for a bigger say in child rearing. We have brought these three explanations to data and tested empirically. While our evidence is not very strong due to the lack of data and statistical power, our results are consistent with the third explanation. That is, it is not the relative change in marriage market value or preference change, but the additional sphere of bargaining created by children that explains our finding that the wife, and not the husband, shoulders a larger burden in raising a child. For whatever reason, women may be willing to give up the private expenditure in exchange for more say in child rearing. 
It is not clear from our study whether the pattern we find should necessarily hold elsewhere. However, my casual reading of general writings and conversation with people from different backgrounds appear to suggest that the wife typically shoulders a larger burden of children. This appears to be true throughout East Asia, Southeast Asia, and South Asia, as well as many other parts of the world. Though the degree of gender inequality in shouldering the burden of child rearing may vary substantially from place to place. It may well be that a strong sense of gender role ingrained in the traditional Japanese or perhaps Asian culture has something to do with our findings, and it will be certainly interesting to find out whether the cultural inheritance influences intra-household resource allocation, and if so, to what extent. Would you say that this phenomenon of unequal allocation of resource partially accounts for the low fertility rate in Japan? Our research paper is unable to say yes or no to this question. However, it is quite plausible that those women who foresee a disproportionate burden of childbearing and rearing may be discouraged to get married or to have children. Similarly, the recent improvement in the Japan's fertility may have something to do with the reduced burden of childbearing for women. I don't have statistics, but it is clear that men take care of a greater fraction of domestic work, including child rearing, in recent years, as men cease to be the sole breadwinner in a typical Japanese household. To give you a sense of the changing trend in Japan, I point to the following fact. In 2010, the Japanese Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare has started a project called the Ikumen Project, where this newly coined word, Ikumen, means those men who actively participate in and enjoy child rearing. Later that year, Ikumen has been chosen as one of the top 10 words of the year. In accordance with this changing trend, Japan's total fertility rate which is the number of children that a woman is expected to give birth to over the course of her life if she survives from birth through the end of her reproductive life, has climbed to 1.43 in 2013 after hitting the historical low of 1.26 in 2005, following almost three decades of sustained decline in fertility. What lessons can Singapore draw from your research? Our paper uses Japanese data, therefore we obviously cannot say too much about Singapore. However, there are two general lessons that can be drawn from our study which may be applicable to Singapore as well. First, collecting household expenditure data with the beneficiary format adopted by the Japanese Panel Survey of Consumers may be helpful not only for understanding the impact of childbirth, but for designing and evaluating targeting policies. For example, it is known in the literature that the resulting resource allocation within the household may be different depending on whether the wife or husband receives assistance from the government. In the case of Singapore, the foreign maid levy relief is only eligible for women. If you want to evaluate the impact of policies like this on the intra-household resource allocation, expenditure data with a beneficiary format will be helpful. Second, Japan, Singapore, and a number of other countries in East Asia share a common issue of low fertility. The results 
of our study indicate the possibility that reducing the burden of childbearing and rearing on households, especially on women, would be helpful to boost the fertility. Thank you, Professor. Thank you.